This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Don't tell me I haven't dated much. I go out on an average of two times a week. That's a hundred times 20 years. That's 2,000. <laughs> That clip highlights how Mary Tyler Moore and her eponymous show helped millions of working women find their voice. We celebrate the life and career of Mary Tyler Moore with Zoomer Magazine's Mike Crisolago. And as we look forward to the Toronto Auto Show, Phil Edmonston, author of the book Lemonade, weighs in on the car industry and what Zoomers should look for this year. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Our prison system isn't adequately designed for aging prisoners. That according to Catherine Latimer of the John Howard Society, who says there's an increase in inmates and recently released offenders who have age-related and mental health problems. You know, if people are sufficiently senile that they can't remember the nature of their crime, uh, what's the point of continuing to punish them for it? Like, they don't get it. They won't understand it. The Ombudsman for Federal Offenders says his office has been asking Corrections Canada for a strategy for more than a decade. Doublethink, Big Brother, and The Thought Police. George Orwell's dystopian novel, 1984, is jumping off the shelves 70 years after it was written. It climbed into the top five on Amazon.com after the Trump administration's insistence that his inauguration had record attendance and Trump's unfounded allegations that millions of illegal votes were cast against him last fall. Presidential advisor Kellyanne Conway coined an instant catchphrase last Sunday when she called Trump's claims about the crowd size alternative facts, bringing comparisons by some on social media to Orwell's 1984. Zoomers will be familiar with the symbolic doomsday clock forecast by the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. Now it is moving closer to global catastrophe. The board has moved the clock hand up 30 seconds to two and a half minutes to midnight. It's the first time the board has ever moved the clock that fast. The panel of scientists is blaming growing climate change, growing military threats, and Donald Trump's talk about nuclear weapons for its decision to advance the clock. Legendary Zoomer singer Sir Elton John will be bringing the film The Devil Wears Prada to Broadway. And you have no style or sense of fashion? Well, um, I think that depends on what you're... No, no. That wasn't a question. 
That's Meryl Streep in the lead role of the 2006 film for which she earned an Oscar nomination. The Devil Wears Prada follows Streep as a highly successful editor of a high fashion magazine and Anne Hathaway as a smart and innocent woman trying to make it as a serious writer. Elton John, who turned 70 this year, says he's excited to bring the hit movie to the stage, saying, quote, he can't wait to sink his musical teeth into this hunk of popular culture. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. She was a legend that helped pave the way for thousands of women in the working world while promoting the idea that a woman can be single and happy. Mary Tyler Moore passed away this week at the age of 80. She's probably best known for the Mary Tyler Moore Show, where she became an inspiration to a generation of women, myself included. To talk about her life and career, here is Zoomer Magazine's Mike Crisolago. I think like she means so many different things. If you talk about her in terms of an entertainer, you say, oh, well, you know, I was a fan and I watched her show and, and it was hilarious and, and entertaining and uh, but then you look at it in the, the cultural context where you take the context of when the show aired in 1970 and, and the women's movement is in full effect in the United States and things are changing. And then now you have this career woman with her own TV show and she doesn't have a husband and she doesn't have kids and she doesn't necessarily want them. You know, she's just out there living her life, showing every woman watching that you can have that and you don't have to feel like you're failing yourself if you're not staying at home with three kids and taking care of a husband. It was really groundbreaking then to see a woman interact largely at work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And she was intelligent. You know, she wasn't goofy. She wasn't messing everything up and everybody's going, oh, poor Mary. She just doesn't get it. You know, like she knew what she was doing. She was strong. And I think that was a big part of her appeal. She was strong, but she was she was also vo- she wasn't strident or anything. Right, like that. right, right. And she was very aspirational too for that demographic too. And she was also you would also see her at home in her own apartment, mm-hmm. shutting the light and going to bed by herself. <laughs> I have to say that for my generation of women, because of she was in the TV industry, it was really something. Because right around that time, and actually later than the show aired, there were suddenly a lot of opportunities for women because uh, the men who ran it were being told, you better hire some women. (laughs) (laughs) And um, suddenly on TV, there was somebody doing the kind of jobs that we were finally getting. Right. And uh, what I found fascinating about it when I was writing the Everything Zoomer piece was the shows, like behind the scenes, there were 25 women on staff writing the show. And a lot of women who were writing the show went on to become television executives in their own right. So it wasn't just groundbreaking what we saw on the screen, but she actually had a staff of women uh, mixed in with the men, but like a, a significant staff, not just one or two, 25 women at one point writing this show. Like those are opportunities that women weren't getting at the time. It's interesting to note she did that through her own production company rather than the network, though she did have that production company with her husband, Grant Tinker, who was a big producer. Right. You know, I found a lot of similarities between her and Lucille Ball in that they were these groundbreaking uh, female television performers and comedians. And and with their husbands, they formed their own production companies and they produced their own shows and they produced other successful shows. But there's something... You know, on I Love Lucy, where you couldn't say you were pregnant, you couldn't use the word, you had to sleep in separate beds, even though you were married. And then Mary Tyler Moore, she took that 
And that now all of a sudden you're talking about the birth control pill and you're talking about homosexuality for one of the first times on television. And, and as we said before, she doesn't need to be married. She doesn't need to have children. Like that, she took what Lucy sort of set the foundation for and just ran with it. it it's incredible. A couple of very personal reminiscences of the Mary Tyler Moore show. So uh, the first thing was there were spinoffs. To that show. Yeah. One of them, as you reminded me, was called Lou Grant. It was set in a newsroom. And when I had my very first job in Tel Aviv, working the Associated Press desk until four to midnight, <laughs> I would watch the show. And it was so mind blowing to watch a television show where I basically saw myself yeah. reflected. It was just <laughs> something else for that time. Absolutely. And, and it's interesting, too, because that was a drama. Like, it was a spinoff of the comedy, Mary Tyler Moore show, but then it was a drama series. My next encounter with Mary Tyler Moore was one of my earliest jobs, and this was quite a bit after the series had aired, was was working at a television station in Minneapolis <laughs> where the series was set. And I rented an apartment in the neighborhood where Mary Richards was supposedly lived in, in Kenwood. And, you know, I went to the places that you would see in the show opening, but it was astonishing how actually real and present, this fictional character right. who was off the air for years was <laughs> in that place. Yeah, and that's the part of the, the allure and charm of her, I think, especially for that generation. She wasn't out of reach. Like, you could be her. As, as you said, you were watching Lou Grant, and you were living it while you were watching it. Like, that's in incredible. It was very groundbreaking right. for the time. Yeah. But it was, it was incredible. And, and just to see the impact that she had. What kind of feedback have you been getting? You know, sometimes when people, uh, a celebrity passes, you'll get the, oh, I loved their song. Or, I, I, but with these ones, it seems more personal. You know, it's, I grew up with Mary Tyler Moore. I, um, you know, went into this certain career path because of Mary Tyler Moore. It's a lot more personal. And I've seen um, the same thing even online from everyone from Ellen DeGeneres to Oprah to a lot of female journalists who are working today tweeting and, and saying, you know, we did this because Mary Tyler Moore showed us we could. Okay, Mike Crisolago from Zoomer Magazine, thank you so much. Thanks, Libby. That was Zoomer Magazine's Mike Crisolago on Mary Tyler Moore's legacy. She died this week at the age of 80. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and then return to talk about the auto industry's latest offerings with Lemonade author Phil Edmonston. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. The Detroit Auto Show wrapped up recently with automakers trying to sell you on the latest offerings in the market. The Toronto Auto Show is closing in on us, so to get a look at what's new, let's go to consumer advocate and lemonade author Phil Edmonston. What yeah. is there this year for our demographic, for Zoomers, the older demographic? Well, the older demographics principally, they're really concentrating upon the convenience features, everything from removing the blind spot to your right to having the cameras in the rear so that you're pretty well aware of what's going on. The other thing, too, is that they're making the seatbelt so a little bit 
easier for us because just reaching over to the top, you know, and trying to pull it down, that's that's an exercise for a lot of people that's very, very painful. And uh, apart from that, it's just mostly making sure that infotainment systems are easier to understand. I'm telling you, some of these, you feel like you have to have a college degree just to kind of uh, calibrate the radio and the other systems. This is, this is becoming much more complicated. So they're trying to make it easier this year. Okay, let's break a little bit of that down. So how, what are the seat belts going to be like? Uh, you're talking about back seat belts or front seat belts as well? Well, front seat belts and back seat belts now, they're trying to make them more user-friendly so that you don't have to reach up as high and it doesn't take as much effort to pull down. Infotainment systems, trying to make them much more programmable if you want to have a particular calibration on your radio. Automatically, you can have that without trying to tune it. And the, the question of cameras, they're, they're getting more and more into the cameras so that you know where you are. Now, now that's a problem as well because sometimes these cameras get washed out in sunlight, so you're kind of squinting and, you know, leaning over and being fairly distracted from what uh, what you should be doing, and that is driving. Now, you advise people, uh, male people, to take a woman with them when they're negotiating for a car. Traditionally, <laughs> take your mom, sister, or girlfriend, but traditionally it's, it's, it's women who are more likely to get... Uh, host <laughs> in, an, in a car negotiation. No, you, you know what happens is that you should never go to dealership alone. That should be the first rule because you may not understand or you may not have time to ask the next question and you can't think about it. But I, I have found over the years that uh, if you go with a, a woman purchaser, women generally ask questions that men don't ask. You know, apart from child safety seats, the dealer to a guy will say, hey, here's how fast it will go from zero to 100 kilometers an hour, whereas a woman will ask, well, how, how fast will it go from 100 kilometers an hour uh, down to zero, because they're more concerned about, about safety. And women really, from what I've seen over the years, not only ask very specific, uh, important questions, but they listen to the answer, and then they use follow-up questions. And I do believe, uh, I, I don't know if it's in our genes or what, but we are uh, uh, genetically, perhaps we are programmed to just like to play with the buttons, you know, <laughs> on the car and, and not listen as well. So just if you have a woman with you, you can be darn sure that the questions, some of them will be quite different than what you would normally ask. We've heard a lot the past few years about driverless cars. Where are we at with those? Right now, they're still testing them. You've got uh, a, a number of computer firms along with the manufacturers trying to put something together, but they're having a great deal of difficulty right now, uh, mainly because a vehicle is in an environment, particularly in Canada, we see that you can have dramatic changes in temperature, and temperature really screws up uh, electronics. Uh, you can have high moisture. You can have problems with premature corrosion, these kinds of things, and this can really make the difference between life and death. So they want to make sure they have a good system in place. And there's, I would say, about a half a dozen companies which are very serious and are going to put out driverless cars eventually. 
But these are not going to be the average cars you and I will drive because uh, what they want to do is clear up the whole question of legal responsibility, liability. What happens if the car, like a computer crashes, if the car literally crashes? Who will have to pay the damages? Uh, I suspect the driverless cars will see initially as small commuter buses that will be programmed to go along a, a certain trajectory and then go back to the airport or wherever they started from. Anything else you want to draw our attention to? Well, I, I think don't get too enamored with electric-powered cars yet because, uh, once again, they've had all kinds of trouble. They're trying to get their things working right now. But take your time. Don't get a car the first year that it's on the market. Get something that's been sold for four or five years so you can go to an independent garage. And, and finally, get into the winter, spring months because that's when you find double rebates, rebates from the manufacturer, and also rebates, discounts from the car dealer. Okay, Phil Edmonston, Lemonade, thanks so much. Okay, thank you. That was Phil Edmonston on what's new in the auto industry. The 2017 Canadian International Auto Show runs February 17th to 26th. On opening day, Zoomers 60-plus will get a special admission price of $15. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. When we return, the solitary man turns 76 this week. We'll celebrate Neil Diamond in just a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. The city of Rome attracts fans of art and culture. Street tours of Italy's capital are now being offered to add context to the city's art and to give art lovers a more rounded experience. Among them, the Caravaggio Art Tour and the Arch of Constantine Tour near the Colosseum. In Copenhagen, the National Gallery of Denmark has mounted an exhibition called Japanomania, demonstrating the love of all things Japanese once the culture became popular in Europe in the mid-19th century. In Chicago, a revival of Pearl Clage's Blues for an Alabama Sky tells the story of struggling African-Americans trying to live large during the Harlem Renaissance of the 90s. It's on stage at the Court Theater. And the Sundance Film Festival wraps up this weekend after a 10-day run in Utah. The festival is staged by Robert Redford's Sundance Institute and actively advances the work of independent filmmakers worldwide. I'm Jane Brown, and that's That's the International Arts Datebook. This week, Neil Diamond celebrated his 76th birthday. For over 50 years, he's been one of the most popular singer-songwriters of the Zoomer generation. He's sold over 125 million albums worldwide, and he's the third most successful adult contemporary artist on the Billboard charts, just behind Barbara Streisand and Elton John. He's a member of both the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's also made it clear he has no plans to retire, saying, I'd just like to continue to write songs that express my own life and feelings. And he's not done with life on the road. 
You can catch Neil Diamond in concert this coming June at the Air Canada Centre. Right now, we'll travel back and hear the first number one hit single of his career. It was written in 1970 for his album, The Taproot Manuscript. Here is Cracklin' Rosie. Ah, oh, Cracklin' Rosie, get on board. That was Neil Diamond with Cracklin' Rosie, his first number one hit single. Diamond celebrated his 76th birthday earlier this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week when we explore how to find meaning instead of chasing happiness. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.